the darkness at thy speaking it was done. Welcome to sermons from Zion Lutheran Church of Gwinner, North Dakota. Zion Lutheran Church is committed to the message of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, for the church and the world. The following sermon is from Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted." This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Enemies of the Gospel are counters. Yes, enemies, enemies of the Gospel are counters. Yes, they are all about counting and tallying everything they do so that they might put their confidence in what they have accumulated and not the gospel. Here's how this works, my friends. These enemies of the gospel, they keep track of all their good works, making a list, all they do before God. Then they look at others and count how much they have done. And then when it is determined that everyone else has not done as much as them, they thank God that they are so much better than everybody else and proceed to snub those around them as inferior, as beneath them, as less holy than them. But just to make sure that this makes sense to us this morning... Why are they enemies of the gospel? Precisely, why are they enemies of the gospel? The answer is this. They are enemies of the gospel because they fail to realize that they are sinners. Yes, they fail to understand that they are sinners because they are so busy counting the good things that they are doing as a basis of their worth and their value and identity. For example... We see one of these enemies of the gospel in our gospel reading from the gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 18, the text that we read this morning, we hear about a Pharisee. This Pharisee was not like all those other people. He was not a thief or a rebel or an adulterer, for he fasted not once, but twice a week. And he gave a tenth of all that he made. Indeed, we know that he is not like everyone else because he confesses his greatness. In our text, we hear him confessing all that he had accomplished. He confesses his greatness. He had actually counted how much he fasted each week, and he knew down to the dime exactly how much he put in that plate. 
If asked about other areas of his life, I'm sure he would have been ready to give a list of things that he had done, things that he had counted, things that he had done to make himself great. So as we can see, this Pharisee does not have much use for the gospel because he has put all of his trust in himself and what he had accomplished in his life. He is an enemy of the gospel because he does not seek the forgiveness of sins in God's mercy, but rather, my friends, he rejects the gospel. He rejects the gospel by counting up his good deeds and then determines that he is not a poor and miserable sinner like everyone else around him. Indeed, he is an enemy of the gospel because he does not see himself as a sinner. And if he is not a sinner, there is no need for the Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ. Now, this Pharisee was neither the first nor the last to be the enemy of the gospel. In our Old Testament reading, we hear about Cain and Abel at the very beginning of Genesis chapter 4. Indeed, in our Old Testament reading, we hear about a man named Cain. He, too, was an enemy of the gospel. He was counting on his sacrifice and his work to earn him recognition before God. When his self-righteous plan did not work out, though, as we know from the text, he flipped out and murdered his brother. We also see many of these enemies of the gospel in the 16th century as well, the 1500s, when the people spent all of their time counting their indulgences, counting out the number of pilgrimages they had made, and the number of masses they attended as a basis of their worth and identity and value. But how about today? Today, unfortunately, we are no different. We're no different than Cain. We're no different than the people of the 16th century. And we're no different than the Pharisee. Tragically, more often than not, we see this most often in funerals. Yes, at funerals, we many times see pastors and family members being an actual enemy of the gospel. Now, that may surprise us, but it is true. It is true when the pastor or the family spends all of their time proclaiming the goodness of a deceased loved one as a basis of why that one who passed away is in heaven. Now, please do not get me wrong, or please do not misunderstand me. I'm not talking about the pastor and family rejoicing Yes, rejoicing over the past blessings of a deceased person, rejoicing and thanking God for all the good that the person had done in their life, the blessing and the love that was exchanged with them. I'm not talking about that. But rather, I'm talking about those sermons. Yes, you've heard those before, those sermons and those eulogies with the funeral that go on and on about a person's goodness as a basis Yes, as a basis of why he or she must be in heaven. Tragically, whenever we knowingly or unknowingly count up the good things of a person to present it as the reason and foundation of why a person must be in heaven, I'm afraid we have not gone the way of the powerful gospel, but rather denied it. Sadly, my friends, whether it is with the 16th century indulgences or whether it is in funerals, when we go the way of counting up and tallying up the good things that we have done to try and show that we have acquired eternal life, 
we're actually going the way of being an enemy of the gospel. We are not justified by our works, no matter how good they are, because we are all tainted by sin. You see, dear friends, the only thing that counts concerning our justification is not the good deeds or how much we have done or how well we have done it, but rather the only thing that counts is the mercy of God in Christ Jesus for sinners like you and like me. Yes, the only thing that counts is the sheer grace of the Lord, not our counted deeds or our tallied righteousness or our spiritual scorecards. Now take a moment and consider this morning, not the Pharisee, but that tax collector from our reading in the Gospel of Luke. The tax collector, he beats his chest and he says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Notice that he has not counted up anything. He has not counted up how much he has fasted or how much he has given or how much good that he has accomplished. Yes, take note that he simply keeps quiet about himself and his works. He brings nothing forward about himself except that he is a sinner in need of mercy. I believe the old hymn, Rock of Ages, captures the outlook of the tax collector best when this hymn says this, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Dear friends, any time that you or I start to count out and itemize our goodness like the Pharisee, we become enemies of the gospel. Indeed, no matter how pious or good our deeds might be, we become enemies of the gospel when we count them up as a basis and a foundation of our worth and our identity before God. The reason why this is so, when we go the way of counting like a Pharisee, we deny the reality that we are sinners. And when we begin to go down the road of trying to convince ourselves that we are not sinners like everyone else, Well, unfortunately, Satan has us right where he wants us. We must keep in mind that the devil wants nothing more than for you and to me to be smug. Yes, smug in our sins. That is to say, the devil wants nothing more than for us to deny that we are sinners. The devil, he actually rejoices. He rejoices and and smiles when we pretend to be sorry for our sins and when we walk around bragging about all of the good that we have done as a basis of our worth. Yes, the devil rejoices when we become unconscious about our sin and when we celebrate our sin. For when we fail to know and when we fail to feel and experience and acknowledge that we are guilty of sin and subject to death, well, we do not need Jesus. And we certainly do not need the gospel. There's another side to this as well. If we acknowledge our sin, though, the devil then tries to convince us that we must somehow flee from God and hide. In other words, if he can get us to simply deny that we are not sinners, well, then we have no need for Jesus. But when we do confess that we are sinners, the devil then flips to the other side and he tries to convince us somehow to flee from God. 
He says to us this, you certainly feel ashamed and guilty because of your sins. Just think how God thinks of you. You should not raise your eyes to heaven. You should be afraid of the sight of God. In fact, you should be so scared that you should run away and get your life together. Only when you can fix your sins or improve on them can you come into the Lord's presence. Now, as you can see, Satan's tactic is to either, one, make you and me smug in our sin, or two, to be fearful of our sins to the point where we run from God. Either way we go, the result is the same. We have been disconnected from the Lord, Jesus Christ, and disconnected from his mercy. Dear friends, we must never, I repeat, we must never surrender to these satanic attacks, these satanic arrows, these lies. If you do not recognize yourself to be a sinner, if you do not know and feel and experience that you are guilty of sin and subject to death, if you are busy counting your good deeds, trying to convince yourself that you are not a sinner like everybody else around you, then repent, my friends. Yes, repent. You have placed yourself with the smug Pharisee and have become an enemy of the gospel. You have succumbed to the satanic lie. On the other hand, if you know yourself to be a sinner, if you know and feel and experience that you are guilty of sin and subject to death, but feel trapped and are afraid of God, yes, and you are afraid of God, know this too, that you have bought into Satan's false theology. You see, dear friends, we must never surrender to these lies of the evil one, but rather look to the tax collector Yes, look to the tax collector in our gospel reading. In our gospel reading, the tax collector neither counts his good works to convince himself that he is not a sinner, nor does he hide from God because of his sins. But before the temple, he confesses, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Think about that a moment. The tax collector, he dares to say that he is a sinner. He is a sinner who is tempted by flesh and blood. He is a sinner who has anger and hate, lust and greed. But his hope as a sinner is in the mercy and the goodness of God. What this means is this. You and I are surely sinners. We indeed should confess. We should know and feel and experience the guilt of sin. Otherwise, we are trapped in the lies of the Pharisee. However, this is the big however. However, we should also know the opposite, that the Lord is full of mercy and grace for you and for me. Yes, here's the bold news of the gospel. The gospel for you today. When you feel most like a sinner, when you are bombarded by the reality of your failings, the aging of your body, and the pains of life, that is precisely the time when you can resist the devil and say this, Dear devil, if I'm a sinner, so what? God is merciful to me. If I'm an unfit sinner, then that is precisely why I need the Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ. Then after you snub the devil with this bold confession, you can then beat your chest and confess with the tax collector, God have mercy on me, the sinner. This is the nature 
of what it means to be a Christian. As a Christian, we daily confess and we daily acknowledge our sins. However, in the midst of our sighs and our confessions of sin, we know the bold news of the gospel that the Lord has mercy on sinners. He has mercy on sinners. We know that the Lord loves to show mercy and grace and salvation to sinners who feel their sin. Dear baptized saints, all of your life is framed in God's mercy. All of your sins cannot be set against you, for God's mercy is for you because Jesus Christ has died for you. So you are shielded from God's wrath. You need not depend on your works or your deeds, for you have Christ's work and his deeds. You need not count on your works, for you can count upon God's mercy in Christ. Yes, because you are baptized, each and every single one of you, because you are baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have the comfort that you need not flee from God or pretend that you are not a sinner, but rather you can confidently and continually plead for his mercy along with the tax collectors saying each and every day, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the great news the most wonderful, abundant, great news for you and for me today is this. The Lord gladly gives his mercy to you. He gladly gives his mercy to you. The Lord graciously forgives you of all of your sins. He washes you clean and creates a new heart within you through his word and his sacraments. Lord, have mercy on us. And he does. Over and over and over. This is the gospel, which is for you and which is for me, too. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast sermon. You can access a full manuscript of today's sermon from Pastor Matthew Richard's blog at www.pastormattrichard.org or visit Zion Lutheran Church's website at www.zionglinner.org. The Lord bless and keep you.